That just make you all excited? Woo! Oh, it is Christmas weekend at NBC. I've had a couple people go, I'll say Merry Christmas, and they'd kind of look at you. Uh, uh, did I miss something this week? Yes, it's Christmas weekend at NBC. And so we're here to celebrate a key, wonderful movement in our story from all that has been going on, that's been happening, as God's been working and through and speaking to many various characters and circumstances, all leading up to this point, the birth of the king. And so you picked a great Sunday to be here as we're gonna just celebrate today the joy and the wonder of Christ's coming. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, I like Christmas. I, I love Christmas. Any other Christmas lovers out there? Okay, now you go, woo! You gotta be kind of excited about it. Woo! Christmas lovers. Okay, how many honestly, it's not something you look forward to? I'm praying for you all, okay? God will get through to your hearts eventually, all right? At, at, at the Molsness house, Christmas is a big deal. My wife is Mrs. Christmas. I mean, she just... Uh, once Christmas ends, she's starting to plan already for the next year, and we're getting plans of when people are coming, when we're going. You know, when people come, we go, you know, those kind of, kind of situations. And, um, you know, just getting ready uh, for it. And so by the time we hit October, things are starting to heat up. You know, the tree's probably getting pulled out and getting ready towards the end of October. Presents are getting bought and all those kind of fun things because we love Christmas at our house. One of the funniest things, my youngest daughter, Katie, the minute Christmas Day actually comes, she actually gets sad. She's like, it's gonna be another year, another year. And because what is so fun about Christmas, it's not just the day of Christmas, it's what's leading up to Christmas that gets us so excited. All the anticipation, and in reality, that is what we've been experiencing the last several weeks and months through our story series as we've been leading up to this grand, grand moment of Jesus coming onto the scene. If you've got your story books with you today, turn to page 307. We're going to be in chapter 22 uh, this morning. But they have a little interlude that they, uh, the authors of the story just wrote connecting kind of the Old Testament, which we've been in, to the New Testament. And on page 307, I just want to read a few verses, or not a few verses, a few paragraphs here uh, of uh, Randy Frazee and Max Licato as they wrote this. They said, but God's story wasn't finished, the last two paragraphs. When the set time had fully come, the Apostle Paul said, at just the right time, God spoke again. This time in the person of Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, whose birth, life, death, and resurrection changed everything. Now the prophets, ancient promises of a new servant king and kingdom of God, the promises anticipated for so many years came to life in bold new ways. 
Now the people could see personified God's graciousness, his compassion, unfailing love, and dedication to restoring lost relationships through this carpenter and itinerant preacher, teacher, Jesus, the Messiah. All the wisdom and the purposes of God centered in Jesus' mission on planet Earth. He was God's final word at just the right time. Just as in any great drama, the tension has risen in the story to a point of depth, and finally, what had been anticipated, speculated about, comes into view at just the right time. God, the director, doesn't simply just add another character to the story, but he directly implants himself in the story. The director takes the stage. The God of the clouds, the God that had been experienced in the wind, the God that had been envisioned by the fire, the God who had been on Mount Sinai, the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of David, the God of the universe now leaves all his wonders and glories of heaven to come walk as a character alongside the characters of his story. No longer viewed from a distance and presented by man's imagination and speculation, but now he comes and he enters into the story, his story, in a way that is so out of character for God, yet it's exactly in character of him. So majestically and with awe, yet so humble and without notice. So perfectly timed and yet so untimely. The king of the universe, behold, lying in a manger, in a stable, probably even being drooled on by his creation. Think about that, the cattle, the donkey, the sheep. You know, if there's hay and straw somewhere, they're there. And they're probably looking over, just drooling. Now, I kind of have a little bit of a feeling of what Jesus went through. I have a St. Bernard. Uh, Don't ask me how we did this or why we did this. It's because we loved our daughter so much, I guess. But Sadie the St. Bernard, and I was thinking about this a few weeks ago, and that's what got me to thinking on this. Sadie, one of her wonderful gifts, beside all of her hair that's everywhere, is her drool. And I even got an arrow shining. She got a nice little loogie hanging there for you to see. (laughs) But this girl literally goes around our house just shaking her head at times, and it's just flying. I mean, we don't need to wallpaper. We've got designs everywhere, okay? So my wife is from perfect country, okay? Those of you that are perfectionists, you know what that's like. She's from perfect country. This... I have, I've literally lost my wife a few days. I thought she was just going to walk out on us because of this. But so what she figured out, let's just hang towels throughout the house. And so we have towels everywhere throughout the house. And we go around wiping off the furniture, wiping off the walls. We wipe ourselves off. We wipe Sadie off just to try to survive. Okay. And I think, you know, every time she throws one on me, I'm just, oh, this is so gross, you know? Um, 
And so if you're ever near me and I smell kind of like drool, that's why, okay? It's not that I'm, uh, you know, it, it's a dog that's drooling on me, okay? And I thought, you know, think of that. I get so grossed out by that, but think of the king of the universe who came and those animals which he created drooling on the king. Wow, what a story. And so here today, it might be the last weekend in February, but we're celebrating Christmas. Because as John said, the word became flesh. Page 309 in your story books, or John chapter one, verse 14. We're gonna kinda just hang out in John as we start out our message today. But the bottom of page 309, John's words, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen the glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. Now I've read John through how many times and, and the, the, this term, the word, became flesh. And I've always thought, why didn't John just write and God became flesh? Why did he use this term, the word? The word became flesh. And as I studied that more this past couple weeks, it really dawned on me how amazingly appropriate John is in using these words as he's speaking to a culture that totally got this. We might sit here today and go, you know, the word became flesh, and, you know, most of the times we think, okay, yeah, the Bible, you know, God's word, the Old Testament, it became flesh to us. He, he walked among us. But in reality, it's much, much more than that. For the Hebrews, this idea of the term word the Greek word is logos that's used in scripture, but this term word, for the Hebrews, this spoke volumes to them. Because how did God create the world? What did he use? Words. He spoke it into existence. God spoke our world into existence. As well, if you know your Old Testament a little bit, you recognize that God's name, his very name, the Hebrews would not even speak it aloud because they didn't want to mess it up. They didn't want to be disrespectful. They kept it so holy, they didn't even speak the word, the name of God. And when they would write out his name, they would leave out the, what we would say would be the vowels of it. They would just write the consonants of his name because they didn't want to mess it up or disrespect it. And so in, a, in many ways, what John is writing, he's saying, this word, this one which you won't even speak his name has come in the flesh. This one who spoke creation into existence has come in the flesh. He's speaking directly to his audience, but he also has a Gentile audience, a Greek uh, from Greek culture. And they as well hold this term logos very special in their way of thinking as well. For the Greeks, they were always looking into philosophy, looking into words that would somehow form their reality and build their culture. In fact, 500 years before Christ, the great Ephesian philosopher Heraclitus he made this famous statement, and some of you maybe heard this in philosophy classes or, or English classes somewhere along the way, but he made the statement, quote, you cannot step into the same river twice. Meaning, 
Obviously, the minute you step in and step out of a river, it's constantly changing. So you can't step in and step out of it. Okay, that was just bonus for you. That has nothing to do with the message. All right? Because what I want to get to, I thought maybe some of you might remember that. Maybe you probably totally forgot it. But Heraclitus also said this, all things come to be in accordance with the logos, with the word. It says all things are built on that. All things come into being. In fact, later on, Plato even once said, someday there will come forth from God a logos, a word who will reveal all mysteries and make everything plain. Plato even said, there's going to be a word, there's going to be a special word that's going to come, and it's going to just open your eyes, it's going to blow your mind. So for both the Hebrews and for the Greeks, for John to use this term, the word, it just brought them right in. This one, the word became flesh, this one we've been looking for, desiring, It is out of this culture searching for and looking for divine wisdom, this omnipotent word that John writes his gospel, sharing of Christ. It's with this backdrop in mind that John begins his account with the words, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Echoing even from Genesis chapter one. Well, how does Genesis chapter one start? In the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. And so John echoes that saying, in the beginning, the word was there. He places Christ the word at the beginning, at the very beginning of all. See, too often we think Jesus started right here in this manger. We think, well, that's when Jesus came on the scene. That's where God created and made Jesus. No, Jesus has been from the very beginning. He was with God and he was God. I'm gonna give you a little theology lesson. You guys awake enough for that right now? Theology 101, okay? If you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter one, verse one. If you got your stories, it's page 309 there. But we just read the verse, in the beginning was the word. In the beginning was the word. Here's the theological content to go away. Jesus was not a new creation by God. Jesus was not some new being God just, you know, thought up someday and created. No, Jesus was in the beginning. The second part of that passage says, and the word was with God. He was with God. Jesus is distinct as the son of God from the father. Okay? He's distinct. He was with God. He he wasn't, as we'd say, father God. He was with father God. He's distinct. And then the third part of that verse goes on, and the word was God. Although he was distinct from the Father, Jesus is is just as much God. And so John is given a huge, huge theology lesson to his readers and to us today to be reminded of who Jesus is. And then as we go on down to verse 14, the word became flesh, flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've talked about that word before. It's in the Hebrew and the Greek, it's literally the word tabernacle. He came and tabernacled among us. He set up his tent right in our midst with us. He lived with us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. 
Now, I got a very deep theological question for you this morning. If something is full, can you add any more to it? See, you're all good theologians. No, you can't, okay? If something is full, you cannot add anything more to it. And so what John is writing here, he's saying, Jesus is full of the deity. He is totally full of the deity. He's not just part deity. He is full of this grace and truth. Jesus, the word, was fully God and fully man. Some, will, some you know, unfortunately will say, well, he is half man, half God. That's not correct. He was 100% God and 100% man. And you might be sitting here this morning and go, oh, that's nice for you pastors to know what does it mean to me. It doesn't really matter. Yes, it does. Theology matters to all of us because it affects how we and what we believe. If we believe, if we believe that Jesus came and took on flesh. See, some believe, well, he maybe was just, you know, kind of in a spirit phase and people could see his out, out appearance, but he really didn't, he really wasn't a person. It was just kind of God as a spirit. Well, then guess what? His crucifixion meant nothing. But because he took and put on the flesh, his death meant, means everything to us. Some will say, well, you know, he was a good man. We believe that. He was a man, but he really wasn't God. But what does John say? He was. In fact, he was with God in the very beginning. He wasn't just a good teacher. He wasn't just a good practitioner. He wasn't just a good man. He was God. Theology matters, friends. And I encourage us to be reminded of that. So to say we have a new character in the story is totally false. We don't have a new character, but we have the character of the whole story presenting himself center stage. And it's interesting, like we said already, how John uses the words from Genesis in the beginning to remind his readers that the creation that God brought into being simply by his word, he's now come face to face with. The word that created now takes the form of his creation. The word that brought physical life into existence now comes to bring eternal life. The word that breathed physical life into the man now comes to bring, breathe spiritual life into man. Yet how does the king of the universe enter our world? As I like to say, in a stinking stable. To a young teenage girl, to a reluctant early father. Talk about starting at the lowest point. Can anybody beat that one? <laughs> anybody born in the stable? Okay. Now, some of us came from some rough beginnings, let's be honest, and it's been God's amazing grace that's gotten us to where we're at today. But to think of how humbly Jesus came into this world. But what an amazing picture of God among us, a God who knows us. We have politicians, and man, I, these crazy times of the year when politicians are all over your screens at home and on your everywhere, it gets frustrating. And they're all telling us the same thing, I know where you live, I know how you feel, I'm here to help you. Yeah, right, okay? 
But we serve a God who knows us, and he's here to help you. We serve a God who knows what it's like to be hungry. He knows what it's like to be thirsty. He knows what keeps you awake at night. He hears the cry of the single mom not knowing how she'll survive another day. He hears the shout of anger from the man who's lost it all and is shaking his fist at God. He hears the cry of the mother who watches her young child leave this world in her arms. He hears the cries of those mourning lost. He hears the cry of an alien calling for help. He hears the cry of the one maligned by culture and society. He sees the injustice of those sworn to uphold justice. He hears the cry of that one floundering in this life looking for purpose. Why? Because he's not a distant God, but he's the God who became flesh and he lived among us a God who's near us and who promises that he'll never forsake us. I'll be honest, this last week is, we had a tragic loss in our, in our church family once again, and man, over these last few months, we've just had, seemed like one after another around here. And uh, just to be honest with you as pastors, those things weigh on us. And I know as a church family, many have just felt this incredible burden and weight on them as we've grieved over and over and over. And I'll be honest, as I was preparing for Judy's funeral yesterday and then trying to get this message ready for today, I'm like, okay, and I'm supposed to speak on the joy of Christmas? But the more I read John 1 over and over, I was reminded again that the joy of Christ's first coming, he came into a world that was broken, that was dark, that was grieving, that was heavy. And so maybe in the midst of our heaviness and our broken hearts, the story of Christmas is really the story we need to hear. How God comes into our darkness and he brings his light and his joy. If you've got your Bibles open, to John chapter one, or your storybooks to page 309. Let's read the opening remarks of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does, has not overcome it. How powerful those words are to remind ourselves that even in our darkness, the story of Christmas and its light is the perfect story for us to hear. And oftentimes, well, not often, the reality is when it's the darkest, the light shines the brightest. And that is truly when we get to see the God of this universe in all of his glory and fashion. As we close out this message today, I thought, let's look at some of the characters of the Christmas story. And as I looked at these characters this week and, and read through the you know, traditional Christmas story over and over, a, a word just came to me, interruption. And how the Christmas story is truly a story of interruption. As God coming in the flesh interrupts people's lives 
And to be honest, guess what? We're here today because God interrupted our lives. And so I want you just to think of as we read, we're going to just read the Christmas story today. I'm going to feel like grandpa sitting in the recliner on Christmas Day, okay? And read the Christmas story. And I want you to see through these characters God's interruption and their response. We're going to begin with the shepherds, page 312 in your story and Luke chapter 2 in your Bibles. Last paragraph on page 312, it says, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared and the angel praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Stop right there. What you find interesting about all these characters is they were going just about their normal routine of life, and God interrupts their life. For the shepherds, three things just kind of stick out to me is that they seek out this Jesus. Once they're told, you know, this Messiah has come, God's up to something here, you need to go see it. They went going for it. They went running for it to seek out this Jesus. Some of us have heard about Jesus. Have we run for him? Are we seeking him out? And once they found him, they celebrated. They had a good old time. They couldn't believe they had been part of this incredible, incredible story. But it didn't stop there. They went out and shared the good news. Could we find ourselves as shepherds? Are we seeking Jesus out? Are we going to search for him? We hear about him, what he's doing. We're going and looking for him. Are we celebrating the things he's doing in our lives and in the lives around us? Are we celebrating him for who he is? And a lot of times, for a lot of us, that's where it stops. But we can take a good lesson from the shepherds to go and spread and share the good news. See, the good news doesn't just, Jesus didn't come just for me, although it feels like it at times. He came for everybody. And we are called to spread the good news. Let's go to our next characters, the wise men, the magi. Bottom of page 313. As Grandpa Brent reads to us the Christmas story. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during this time of King Herod, magi, wise men from the east, came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Then when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them, where is the Messiah was to be born? They replied, in Bethlehem and Judea, for this is what the prophet has written. 
But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out for them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. And as soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. What I find so interesting about the wise men's story, if you know ancient culture and wise men, magi, there were men that were astronomers. There were men that studied the stars. There were men that studied the books. They studied everything to try and find the meaning to life. They were kind of the thinkers of society. They were investigating the sciences. They were investigating everywhere, trying to make reason and purpose for life and what was going on. And isn't it cool how Jesus just kind of, or how God works and just shows up right where they're at? Who else, other than those that are gazing at the stars, need a star to come and follow and be recognized where Jesus lay? Those that were searching in the stars, God showed up there. I think that's so cool how God just comes right where we're at, right where we're searching, and he speaks to us. He interrupts our lives. For the wise men, I just thought of these three words. They, they searched once again. when they, they were looking for truth, and God showed up in the midst of it, showed them the star so that they could follow after it. And once they come to the king, what do they do? They give, they spend, they give treasures to him. Not only had they given their time, which was probably several months to travel to Jesus, but they gave of their, their treasures, and they ultimately surrender and bow before the baby in the manger. You know, some of us have people in our lives that are, quote, unquote, trying to find themselves, trying to find truth. They're digging into science. They're digging into philosophy. They're digging into self-help books. They're looking. They're digging. They're trying to find the truth. You know, a great way we can pray for them is for God just to show up in where they're searching, to show up in their sciences, and they just go, there must be a God. That's what happened with these wise men. God interrupted their lives right where they were looking, and he spoke to them. The last character I want us to look at this morning, and really is not much said of him even in the story, other than his work. But Luke chapter 2, verse 7, and on page 312, uh, the second to last paragraph, just the last few lines there. It says, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to a firstborn son. She wrapped him in clothes, placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. The innkeeper. You can imagine his life at this time. There's a census that had been taken. People were coming in from all over. And let's just say business was good for this guy. He was filled up. 
He had more business than he probably had ever had. Money was rolling in, things were going good, and here's this little couple shows up, and yeah, she's pregnant, so he feels kind of bad to just totally throw him away, so he says, I got a stable, you want that? And they took it. In many ways, we see in the innkeeper a self-sufficient attitude. He had business was good, things were going well for him. Why did he need to mess with this? And so he sends the king of the universe, the one who gives him life, he sends him away. And yet there are so many of us today yet that are still doing that. We're trying to live life on our own. We're trying to do it in our own strength. We're self-sufficient, things are going good, we love it. Job's good, wife's good, everything's good. Why do I need Jesus? And we miss out on God's interruption in our lives to embrace him and to in, in, embrace him and to take him to ourselves. Every one of us are interrupted by God at different places and different times. And the question is, what is our response? What is our response to God's interruption? Are we like the shepherds, we're running to here, we're embracing it, and then we're telling the great story? Are we like wise men who in the midst of what we've been searching for, God shows up in an amazing way and we go and give all of ourselves to him? Or are we like the innkeeper, God shows up, we keep hearing about him, we just keep pushing him off, pushing him off. How have you responded to God's interruptions in your life? Daryl Bach, a commentator, Biblical commentator said this, he says, in a real sense, the story of Jesus is our story, told to us and for us, just as if we had been among the angels on that night near Bethlehem. What the angels announced to the shepherds that night announced on behalf of all humanity, their journey to see these things should be every person's journey to see what God is up to in Jesus. What will you do with Jesus? What have you done with Jesus? See, that's really the question. If you're sitting here today and you feel like, you know, Pastor Brent, I really am probably one of those innkeepers. I've just pushed him aside. I've just thrown him out. Well, maybe today's your day to become a shepherd or a wise man. Maybe today's your day to say, you know what? I'm finally seeing Jesus for who he is, and I want that in my life. And I encourage you today, if that's you later on in this service, I'm going to be down front, and I just encourage you, just come talk to me. But this morning, every one of us, whether we're quote-unquote call ourselves a follower of Christ or not, every day we have to make the decision, what are we going to do with Jesus in our life? Are we going to bow to the manger, or are we going to just walk by? May each of us be people that see the king of the universe for who he truly is, The word became flesh, and he dwelled among us. Let's pray this morning. Our gracious God, I thank you today that even in the midst of our story, Lord, we're really a part of your story and what you're wanting to do. And God, on this Sunday, as we celebrate Christmas again and hear that story, God, may that never be a story that gets old to us, but may we just every day be full of the joy to realize that God 
came to where I lived to reach to me. And God, I think of some here this morning that maybe haven't made that step yet to just step across that line and say, Jesus, I know, I want to know you for who you are. I pray even in these moments, God, you would speak to their hearts. And if that's you this morning, it's just a simple prayer of just acknowledging, not just a prayer, but of turning your life over to Jesus by just saying, God, I want you. I've been living life for myself, but now I realize I want you and need you in my life. Forgive me. Forgive me for trying to do things my own. Forgive me for turning my back on you. And God, come, let your spirit dwell in me. God, thank you for the hope you give us all to know that the word that became flesh walks with each and every one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.